Amen. Well, good morning. Oh, beloved, you look wonderful this morning. Our love and thanks to Brady and Diana for leading us in worship on this Lord's Day. But, beloved, we are receiving a double portion of blessing this morning as we welcome the Hamiltons. Thomas and his wife, Julie, and, of course, their wonderful children, Lucy, Cora, Claire, and Vivian. Many of you know the Hamiltons as a missionary family we have supported and loved and prayed for for a number of years. Beloved, to know this dear family is to love them. And we have been so blessed to partner with them. And I don't want to take any of Thomas's time today, but on the back of the Thomas's family card, which of course you can get at the back of their table, they have a verse on the back from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. It reads, for the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Is that not the story of the Hamiltons? living fully unto Christ, dying to themselves that they may be obedient to bring the gospel to the island nation of Singapore, being obedient to the calling that God has placed on their life. And it is our hope at Harrison Hills to be an encouragement and a blessing to this wonderful family. So with that, Thomas, would you please come? Good morning to all. It's a joy to be here, be back here. Um, speaking with a few of you before the service, and it's been 10 years since you helped send us off uh, from this church. Um, so it is quite fun to be back. Many of new faces who are here, maybe we have yet to have a chance to meet, um, but there are quite a few who, who we dearly love, and we have appreciated your prayer and your support for us over our time. So we're gonna, I'm going to break my time this morning really into two halves. The first half will be more an update on our work and what we're doing and where we are living in Singapore. And then the second half, we'll get to study some of the word. But don't fret. Uh, I won't preach quite as long as your pastor after sharing. So <laughs> it will not be a two-hour time this morning together. Um, but it is it's really a, fun to be back here. Ju Julie and I spoke this morning as we were driving the, on I-64. We stayed on Southern's campus uh, last night at the Legacy Center and driving this way, which is a familiar route, um, and just remembering uh, those who loved us and cared for us as a young, newly married couple. Um, when we were here, we had just Lucy. She was born into this church, and she ran around, and they had to open the nursery back up at the time. We didn't have any other babies, so they had to open the nursery up just for her. And all of those who have cared uh, for us while we were there, just encouraging um, how much encouragement Harrison Hills has been to our lives and have continued to be over the last 10 years. So a little about us. If you want to pull up that first uh, slide, you can see. Um, okay, no worries. Then I'll just keep going with it. So we, Julie and I served here at Harrison Hills uh, with the youth from 2011 through 2013. We're both from Florida. That's where we grew up, and our families uh, still live down in Niceville, Florida. So it's a small town on the panhandle of Florida. Um, and we left here and moved to Southeast Asia in 2014, where we've been serving since. We started out in the uh, nation of Indonesia, where we served for four years, and those four years, really got a chance to partner with a team of local church planters, all of whom were Muslim background believers, uh, going into places that the gospel had never gone. So going into communities where there had never been a believer in history and seeing small house churches planted that then would replicate um, as the gospel went forth. Um, in 2017, we were excited for our fourth child to come. And at the uh, screening for, to, to kind of see the gender, right around 20 weeks, you go in and check the gender out. We had brought the three older girls with us so they could be excited. It was a boy or girl. They were really interested to know. And that's when we found out that Vivian had a major issue in her brain. Um, at first, we were told that she wouldn't live, that she would not live through birth. 
And then as we got to some more specialists, they said maybe she'll be born. Then it was maybe she'll live a year. And that was about it. But really, God's blessed us. Here she's five and a half years. She'll be six in February. And she's medically stable. And she's growing. Um, she still has a lot of development to do. She's still very delayed, um, at least physically. And we're not really sure cognitively of what level. Um, but God is really blessed uh, with, with her health at some point. And, and I would say some of that is a result of many praying, including those here at Harrison Hills who have been praying for her. Um, the, when we found out about her, very quickly we realized we could not go back to Indonesia. As much as we love the country, it, um, the medical care there was just not sufficient. There was no pediatric neurosurgeon um, in the country, as far as we knew. And their metal, uh, the, the therapies she would need weren't, weren't, weren't available. So as we kind of laid before the Lord once again and said, God, what is this? You've called us to serve you among the nations. You've given us a heart. You've given us a ministry. You've allowed it even to be productive. We're seeing people come to faith. We're seeing house churches planted. We're seeing all of this work. And then you give us a child that precludes us from continuing on where we're at. Uh, how is that a good plan? And I can tell you there was, I think, some very honest prayers from us during that time. Um, we channeled some of David's uh, lament, song, psalms of lament, as the uh, professors will call them. I just call them the complaining psalms, <laughs> when he seems to just be very honest with God. And I think there was a time we learned to be much more honest in our prayers to the Lord. Like, this doesn't make sense, God. Like, yes, you are all wise, but it sure doesn't seem like it. Um, but ultimately, he was all wise. And we've seen that as he's brought us out from a place. And ultimately, as we started to, to kind of explore, well, where could we continue to serve in a near culture uh, to Indonesia? Uh, and when Singapore was first brought up, uh, I responded, I'll never live there. Got no interest <laughs> in being there. I don't want to be in a super metropolitan, urban, densely populated place. Um, I came from an island where we were in Indonesia. We had 170 million people on the island. So coming to Singapore with only 6 million, it seems like a step down, but it's a little different. In Indonesia, I was often on dirt floor at homes, right, sharing the gospel where the gospel had never gone. You know, in, in Singapore, well, you've got concrete high-rises everywhere you turn. So just a very different feel and everything. But ultimately, God led us there. He directed us there to Singapore. And he gave us a heart for that country and the peoples of that place. And so we are privileged to really have served for the last four and a half years in a new place, very different from where we were before. A place, though, where our kids have all thrived, where they think of it as home. They love it, and they've really just enjoyed being able to grow there. Um, so if you want, can you flip through these now, Grant? Are they working now or still? Okay, you want to go on to the next? Uh, okay. You know, this is not his fault. This is my fault for introducing. Okay, there he goes, right? It's a picture of our girls. Lucy, the oldest, she was born here. She's 11 now. Cora's 8. Claire is 7. And Vivian is 5. Cora actually turns 9 this week. So coming up on her birthday. Um, you can go ahead and flip to the next one as well. One of the blessings and one of the privileges we've seen just in God's wisdom uh, is really in birth order and gender of our kids, Right? Uh, when before I had children, I had joked with Julie that I wanted all boys. <laughs> now, after Lucy was born, I was so excited with my daughter that I thought, okay, all girls is great. But giving us three daughters before giving us Vivi, girls, I would suggest, tend to be a little bit more compassionate on average than boys, as women as well than men, probably on average. And so having three girls who are compassionate and caring for their younger sister who can help us. You can even see they're, they're actually supporting. Vivi cannot sit up on her own. She's in a wheelchair. Uh, so this is, her, them, this is just a great picture of that. The girls support her, and they do daily. They constantly help us care for her, even if it's just simply uh, not allowing Vivi to break things in her home. Uh, Vivi scoots around on her back everywhere, and she likes to flip over whatever she can get her hands on. Uh, so standing lamps and chairs, they've all been repaired multiple times or replaced. But the girls just help and care for, and in a way, it's just seeing God's wisdom in that. I never would have imagined thinking, oh, it's a good idea to give me a disabled daughter. But seeing that God giving me a daughter after already giving me three other daughters, who at least for, you know, 
Claire is seven now, so at least for the next 11 years, will be helping us in this journey. Um, is is just a wonderful thing. Um, he had an interest in um, getting the gospel to uh, Hindus, so we went to uh, a part of the city where the Indians uh, have a, a market, and we went and ate there and shared the gospel with a Hindu. Well, later that day, I was taking a ride home, and I, I happened to get on a taxi, and the taxi driver was a Sikh, which is a religion that has come out of India as well. And I thought, well, I've not shared the gospel with many Sikhs in my life, but of course, the gospel is the same with any person, just maybe what they believe is different. Well, the next day, got the chance to sit down with a Muslim, and it continued like that, within the course of five days, I had shared the gospel in Singapore with every major world religion. And that's just not something I grew up doing in Niceville, Florida. I can remember the first time I met a Muslim. I was 17. I remember the first time I met a Buddhist. I was 16. I didn't meet a Hindu until I visited India in my 20s. Uh, so it's just very different that our, our, we're rubbing shoulders with people from every religion and every day doing so. In fact, uh, when... I get to serve my wife and my family by washing dishes. We don't have a dishwasher in our small apartment. I, it's got the best view in the house, actually the kitchen sink does. Look out a window and across a, a, a field that will be developed pretty soon with another high rise. I can see, though, a, a Buddhist monastery. It's a good thing, good reminder to pray for those there. So people come there to be trained to be monks. And it's got nine stories in in. in uh, following their tradition. It's got this major drum. Thankfully, they don't bang it at night because, again, harmony, right? We don't want to disturb other people, but they do bang it during the day. This massive drum that filled the whole stage up here. But right next to it, literally sharing a wall with a Buddhist monastery is a Hindu temple, which there are hundreds and hundreds of idols of all sorts. And they have their festivals, and they go, do go on into the evening a little bit on the weekends, unfortunately. Um, and sharing a wall with that on the other side, though, is a Taoist old folks home and a very popular shrine within it. And if I look out our other window, our, our living room window, I'm looking straight into the wall of a Muslim day school. And even to walk into our apartment, we walk past a mosque. The fact is we're surrounded by religions, but none of them can offer the hope that we have in Jesus. It's a very religious place in that sense, and Singapore is a very religious place. Almost every taxi you get in will have some sort of religious icon in the front of it, depending on what religion they follow. It's funny because even the Christians, the evangelicals, uh, they don't really know what to do there, so they'll usually hang a cross or something like that to simply identify themselves as followers of Jesus. But it's easy to start conversations about religion when you get into the taxi and you say, well, I know what religion you are based on what God or what object you've got in the front of your taxi, what thing you think is giving you credibility. The fact is, though, and you can go to the next slide for this, um, we've really got one goal, and that's to get the gospel to every person in Singapore and to see churches started that cover every people group and every population segment of the country. Now, God be praised because of the faithfulness of missionaries and the faithfulness of local believers. There are hundreds of churches. Now, hundreds of churches scattered among 6 million people is still not enough. And unfortunately, at this point, some of the largest churches are not teaching a faithfulness to Christ. They're teaching a prosperity gospel, unfortunately. The most popular largest churches at this point are not very faithful to the word. But the, God, the church exists. But what will often happen is you go inside the church in this country that's filled with people from all over the world and all these languages... And you'll walk into one church and everyone looks the same. And there's no diversity within it. It's because the church is growing only among certain population segments, among certain people groups. And they're completely ignoring and, and not getting the chance to see the church grow among many others all around them. So really what our goal is and what our vision is, is see the church grow and cover all of these peoples. So if there's 28 languages that are commonly used among 5,000 people or more, well, the church needs to speak at least 28 languages, does it not? It needs to have churches that are in all 28 of those languages, covering all people groups. And some of them will be very diverse, and some of them, as a result of the language barrier, will look a little bit more homogenous. But we need all of them, really, to be covered. 
And we do that not by ourselves. God has blessed us with a team, and you can see a picture here with our team. We are the only ones sent out by the IMB in the country at this point. Everyone else on the team uh, are those that we have met within Singapore. We have cast this same vision with Gospel for Everyone, and they have seen that their role is to join in with it. So they are passionate about the gospel getting to unreached peoples. So everyone on our team have full-time jobs. They fully support themselves, either locals as working with, um, with the oil and gas industry or social work or business consulting or government jobs, or there are a few Americans on our team, one couple and a single. She, the single girl, she's a teacher, and the couple, they, he, he's a business consultant, and so they live, and they have to navigate their own, getting visas and, and paying for all their own needs, but they join us uh, in not only proclaiming the gospel among the lost, but also proclaiming the gospel in their workplaces. With everyone they meet, getting the gospel to, to every single person that knows them. So by no means are we alone. Our team actually is coming from four different churches. And so each one of us, as members of our local church, feels our job to help mobilize our local church to join in the task. And we do this task, how do we do it? Really three different major ways. And the first one is evangelism. That's the next slide. Again, the gospel going forth to every person. They need to be able to hear it in a way that they can understand it. Some of that's language. Some of that's being contextual in the words we use based on who they are but then respond to it, right? So it's not enough that I would say, okay, I'm just going to translate the gospel in all 28 of those languages, and I'm just going to blast them over the radio and then say, well, I've done my job. It's not enough. They need to be able to respond to the gospel. It needs to be a way that can penetrate their hearts and they can understand it. And when you have people that are from different backgrounds, you're going to have to share slightly differently. Whenever I share with a Muslim and use the word sin, for example, they have a concept of sin, albeit a little bit different. Their concept of sin is generally wronging another person as opposed to dishonoring the holiness of who God is. But they have an idea of sin. But whenever you talk to a Hindu about sin, well, it's a different story. And the way they consider sin is, is just quite a bit different. So we have to change our language a little bit. Same gospel, same message, simply packaged in a different way so that they, others can understand it. We often do this over meals. As good Baptists, we like to get together and eat. I hear we get to do that after church this morning, after our service this morning. Um, we do that as well. One of the neat things about Singapore being such a busy place is they have these hawker centers, as they're called. And the hawker centers are simply open-air food courts that will sometimes have over 100 different stalls within them. And these food courts become incredibly busy around mealtime. Most of the younger generations, those maybe 50 or younger, don't ever cook meals. By ever, I mean zero per week. Maybe that sounds good to some of you. Um, they eat out 21 meals a week. And they eat most of these meals in these hawker centers. So they're coming in, either buying takeaway or sitting down to eat. Well, being in a major city, 6 million people, they get very busy. As a result, it's very natural to share tables. Okay, you wouldn't do that here at a restaurant. I don't know if I would recommend trying this here in the United States. If you walk into a restaurant and just sit down at someone else's table, they would probably think it's quite weird. But in Singapore, it's very normal. So when we sit down next to someone, as a result, we start talking with them and then turn the conversation from whatever is normal for the day to spiritual, often using food as our bridge, asking them why they eat certain foods or don't eat certain foods. And, you know, for Hindus, they have certain religious diets, Muslims the same, even Buddhists the same. So it's very easy to turn the conversation to spiritual, or then we'll get into the real food that they need, which is spiritual food, and get to share the gospel with them. We do it by taking people along with us as we go. Now, we encourage the locals, like this is not uh, uh, the default method of evangelism. This is just simply a way to get the gospel to people you otherwise wouldn't get the chance to connect with. There aren't in your natural circles. These unreached groups, you can specifically target them in the places they eat. So it's a very easy way to do so. From there, these conversations, um, our goal is not simply check uh, you know, a notch on our belts. Hey, we shared the gospel, feel good about ourselves. But truly our goal when we go out, and this one thing we train people is, that we're going to develop best friends. And you think, well, what does that mean? 
Well, my goal is, when I go out and share the gospel with someone, my earnest heart is that they will come to saving faith, which then means I'm going to get the chance to disciple them. And then means more than that even, for all eternity, I'm going to get to hang out with that person, praising Jesus in heaven. That's a best friend, right? So I'm looking for more best friends. I'm not just looking for someone I can proselytize or proclaim something to feel good about myself and walk on. And some of these, Julie's gotten a chance, to, she's probably done a little better than I have of developing friendships from this. Some of her closest friends still have yet to believe in Christ, but are people she met when she was out doing evangelism on the streets. And now, as a result, we've come close with their families, have shared with their families again and again and again. They've been in our homes many times. We've been in their homes. They've seen how we live and why we live certain ways, why we raise our children in certain ways, all as a result of these meetings starting on the streets. So it's a good way to get the gospel to others. And we do it always bringing others along with us. We rarely go out by ourselves. And if we have to be by ourselves, as you'll see in one of the pictures, Julie will bring one of the girls with her. Or I'll get along, you know, someone from the church to come alongside me. The second way we do our mission, our vision really, carry it out, is through discipleship. So we are training people in all that Jesus has commanded them to do. Now we've joined a local church. We've started a small group in the church that then has grown and we got to split the small group and we got to train up other leaders so that when we came back to the U.S. now, we handed that off and we will start over when we go back in March. These groups have a heart for evangelism. They have a heart for making disciples. And as a result of this, those who have joined our groups have come from everywhere. So we have new believers in our groups that are Muslim background believers, that are Taoist background believers, that are Buddhist background believers, that are Catholic background believers, all that have come within our groups. Some of them who join in our small group are maybe a little resistant to coming on a Sunday morning, but they'll come to our house to study the word. And as a result, some have even come to faith through that. Friends of those in our groups, inviting others in and so forth. So it's a way that we are able to disciple, raise people up with a heart for Christ. Those that do come to faith, especially from other religious backgrounds, have some very unique needs, have some very unique needs in discipleship. Um, in the United States, we don't generally focus as much on, for example, persecution, right? But our Muslim believers, even in Singapore, where it's not illegal to change your faith, uh, when a Muslim would come to faith, he will lose his family. He'll be kicked out from his family. And so because he likely lives at home still until they're married, that means they lose, they lose their place to live. Some of them will lose their jobs. So it's quite a challenging thing. So when we're doing discipleship, well, those are some areas that in the United States we don't normally deal with as, as frequently, but there we absolutely do. Our goal there is to make disciples that make disciples. So we've been privileged to walk alongside for more than four years some individuals who are now pillars of faith in their community because of the work the Spirit has done in their lives, leading them to faithfulness. The third way, so evangelism, discipleship, and then church equipping. It's the next one there. and Really, that is our primary mission, is to see the church built up, the local church, all multiple hundreds of them in Singapore, to take the gospel to the rest of Singapore. I would say the church is relatively strong enough to reach the rest. These are some, there are some very healthy, strong churches there who love Jesus. The one we're a part of is one who has blessed us, who we've grown tremendously being members within this church. And we can come alongside them and help them in certain areas, one which be getting the gospel to groups that are not like them, to people from other religious backgrounds. And that's really what we've been privileged to do is help the church see their role in this task. In fact, sometimes we joke and we say, as soon as the church grasps this and takes it, then, then we can retire. Now, we don't really mean that in the sense of we'll stop serving the Lord, but in the sense of our role will be done in Singapore. We would have to change our, our, our role as soon as the church grasps this, this reason to get the gospel to all people here in Singapore and starts fully carrying that out. And we're participating as much as we can in that. The next slide just shows a map. This is something I mapped in Singapore. You can see this, the entire island. Um, that's where every uh, Baptist church is currently. So there's 37 Baptist churches within Singapore. Praise God for that. 
um, but they haven't really been uh, multiplying. So unfortunately, our last one was planted in the 90s. So it's been more than 25 years since the last church was planted. Whereas you look in the north part, and it doesn't look like much on there, but that north part, there's three areas, Woodland, Sabawang, Yishu, and that's close to a million people. And there's zero Baptist church and, and only a handful of evangelical churches serving more than one million people. So you can see that while, yes, they can get on the train, and many of them do, and ride an hour plus to other churches in other parts of the country, uh, the fact is that we need more. Um, if every one of our churches was completely full, every seat filled, we would still be serving maybe only one-tenth of the population of Singapore. We need more churches, at least ten times as many in that sense, right? If our goal is that every person comes to faith, we need a lot more. So working alongside the churches to see how can we plant more churches, how can we be creative to start new congregations within our churches that are language-based congregations for those groups that cannot worship in English or Mandarin or Tamil, which is the primary language of the church at this point. So how can we help them start new ones in these different languages? Now, there's some ways in which you can partner with us. Right? The first and foremost way would just be prayer. You know, we already feel your prayers for us. Some of you respond to our updates. Um, Joan Weber is one of those who responds to almost every update, sh- you know, sharing her prayer requests for, sh- sharing her prayers for us, brother. Um, and we have appreciated that now nine years in on the field and the other side of the world, but yet still getting um, those elements of prayer from this church and others. And we really appreciate that. So please do continue to pray. Pray for our team. They are uh, used to having a full-time couple lead them. And for six months, they're, they're on their own. They're still meeting. They're still sharing the gospel as they go out. They still meet, actually, in our apartment. Um, and they gather. They pray for each other. But there is some elements of discouragement. that There's some attack, spiritual attack, going on within our team even now. So difficulties with job and changes of job, difficulties with relationships, um, all, all attending. And, and it's a little harder to navigate those on, on Zoom, right? Um, but the fact is, we know that the same Spirit who's with us, the same Lord who is with us to the end of the age is with them now, a much better presence than Julia and I could ever be. So pray for them. Pray that they would be encouraged and that they would continue to be faithful as they operate and as they see their different giftings, even within the team, to build each other up. While they're not a church, they're using their gifts in, in this work to encourage each other and to encourage their local churches. Pray for those local churches. Like I mentioned, there's a few hundred of them. Mine are specifically Grace Baptist that we're part of. We're discussing now how can we plant a new church. They want to do that within the next two years. They're talking about, we're helping them think more, how can we train people up to be sent out to go to the nations, um, including within Singapore, but also beyond. Um, So we're getting to walk with them in a number of ways. Um, Pray for the other churches, that they'd be faithful, that they would not value harmony above faithfulness to the task, faithfulness to that great commission. Um, Pray as well for our family. You know, you please pray for Vivian. We invite you to continue to pray for miracles in Vivian's life, that she would develop in a way that would not be expected, that she would be able to communicate with us, that she would be able to sit up on her own and stand on her own, Um, and maybe even one day walk, things like that. Those are ways you can pray, those big prayers that um, sometimes Julie and I grow tired of praying, Um, but please continue to do so. And giving, you know, every year, um, which... The church has supported through the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, through giving, through cooperative program. Um, and that's what really gives our support through the International Mission Board. It's that collective effort from uh, tens of thousands of Southern Baptist churches across the United States who partner together to send us out. And there's right now around 3,600 full-time missionaries in the field. But that's really just a small portion of it. Because if you think in our case, as a result of us being in Singapore... We've been able to raise up uh, nine other people who've joined in the effort uh, for free, (laughs) if you will. They don't need support from anyone, but they've joined in as a result of us being supported and being able to be in Singapore. Now there's nine others who who are participating and joining in as well. So so really that 3,600 is multiplied many times over. 
And as a result of the giving, there's, there's literally tens of thousands of cross-cultural um, disciple makers as a result of that giving. So please continue to uh, give towards that. And we, we thank you that you have done that and continue to. You know, the interesting thing is when we're on the field, we're on the other side of the world, we see so much uh, of our dependence on others, right? Every day we feel dependent on other people, as we should, right? Um, it's a little different than in the U.S. So often here, I think, we get caught up in the fact that we have our own bank accounts and our, our own salary from whatever our project in our job is, and we have our own savings and our own house and our own insurance should anything happen. And we become somewhat insulated to the point that maybe we don't even reach out to others in the church when we have a need. We think, well, I can take care of that need myself, right? But where we are, other side of the world, it's easy to realize that that's just not the case. Because, in fact, our salary comes because others give towards it, right? Our ability to continue going forward is because others pray for us. Our ability to continue through tough times are because others reach out and provide that spiritual nourishment and care for us to continue. Really, our chance at seeing anything happen in Singapore is not only from us, but it's because others have come alongside of us, those raised up by the Lord and gifted with their particular gifts. And that's really where I want to transition this morning uh, to, to 1 Corinthians 12. If you want to, you can open your Bibles. We will look at that in a little bit. And speak a little bit more into this church and how we can, as the body, grow up together, as you can grow up together to really be a much more powerful servant of the Lord here and around the world through engaging um, with each other. Now, a few years ago, you see a picture here of Vivian. So this is two years ago or so. Our sweet girl, um, she began to pull out clumps of her hair. And she's had different neurological tics her whole life. So it, first, we obviously were a little bit disappointed, a little disconcerted, but it didn't really... We didn't really think much of it, and it didn't strike us very, very strongly. But over the course of about two weeks, she pulled up all of the hair on the sides of her head. So you can imagine um, Julie as the mom of a daughter is a little bit more disconcerted. It's hard to uh, style your little daughter's hair when there is none. So being the dad, being much more pragmatic, I said, well, she's pulling out her hair. The easiest way would just be to cut it off. She can't pull it out then, right? So uh, much to Julie's chagrin, I got out my clippers, and I buzzed her hair. I, I left about an inch on her head, but I cut it short with the thought that this way she couldn't grab it, and she couldn't harm herself. I, it was really for her that I was doing so. Well, that night, she's in her bed. She can no longer pull her hair because she can't grab onto it. She rubbed her head back and forth, back and forth, back and forth for who knows how long. We didn't hear her at all. She didn't make any noise until in the morning we came in and she had uh, rubbed the entire ear inside of her face raw. And she continued to do that over the course of weeks, continued to open it up as much as we tried not to, to try to help her stop it. There's really little you can do when she's doing that at night. Every morning, every nap time, her... Uh, crib would look like a war zone because she would have she moved around in it quite a bit and she would have just spread blood all over the place and you know got infected and we're trying our best to help her with it but if you put uh, a bandage on she will rip it off immediately there was nothing we could do to, to stop her um, and it got got worse and worse and eventually she got she's on antibiotics they weren't working she got a staph infection in it and it continued and spread the entirety of her ear much of the side of her face um, actually spread to the other side, and for about three months was an incredibly challenged for, for us. We went for about six weeks where we would hold her constantly if she was not sleeping. And Vivian hates to be held. She wants to be laying on the ground, but when she lay on the ground, she would continue to rub it. So for, 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 for weeks and weeks, we would you know, just switch off holding her as long as we could, and, and she would fight for hours on end trying to get out of your arms, but for her, her benefit, right? So it's really a challenge for Julie and I, for our family, for our ministry. Um, 
And praise God, after those six weeks, it started clearing up. We got on some new medications and finally cleared up and healed. And right around the time the wound started to heal, uh, she, she continued to mess with it, and she damaged her cartilage in her ear. It required a few procedures and then eventually a surgery to repair. But what we found out later is the likeliness through the entirety of that traumatic three months, really, for our family. This is a picture just after her surgery. You can see her pouty face. Um, was an ear infection. That was likely the source of it. Now, those of you with children or those of you who have had children, you know, your kids have all had ear infections, right? Every one of them have. Normally, you know, our kids, when they're two, three, they can speak. They'll say, my ear hurts or my head hurts. And you've got an idea. There's a problem. We'll address it. Even our babies, usually they grab their ears and they pull on it. And we know, okay, we should get that checked out. But Vivi didn't do any of those things. So we had no idea that was the cause of it. But as a result of a small ear infection, think a very tiny part of your body, an inner ear, you know, smaller than the tip of your smallest finger. As a result of that, it really disrupted our entire family for a few months. So this morning, we're going to look, 1 Corinthians 12, we're going to look at one body, thinking about your church, Harrison Hills, being without any disease. So if you want to, you can open uh, 1 Corinthians 12. And we'll look there. Now, Paul writes this letter to the Corinthian church. He assumes they've already heard of the analogy that they are the body of Christ. He had begun to refer to that in chapter 6. He says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? But he clearly states it in verse 27 of chapter 12. Now you are the body of Christ, individually members of it. We even sang this morning of the body of Christ being cherished and prized by God. And that's really what Paul is reaching at here. He's using this analogy of the body of Christ to speak to the local church there in Corinth. So let's consider the church as the body of Christ. And in this passage, verse 12 to 27 of chapter, sorry, verses 12 to 27 of chapter 12 in 1 Corinthians, we're going to examine two diseases for us to reject as the body, and then one truth for us to cling to in unity. Let's pray very quickly. Father, thank you for this chance to open your word. May it be that we are convicted by your word, that we are challenged to be faithful to you. We are challenged to use our words and our lives to bring you glory. May it be that we are all about you and that we are a part as part of the body, whether it's at Harrison Hills or whatever church we are a part of, that we will cherish that local church. We will see it as your body. And that we will see ourselves as members of it. With one mission and one task, we pray, Father, in your son's name. Amen. Okay, so we are going to begin towards the end of this passage with the first disease that we need to reject. So as you look through this, 1 Corinthians, I already read that, but the gathered body of Christ, we've got one mission Gospel to all people, all places, making disciples of all places, of all peoples, rather, wherever we go, as one body. So the first disease we're going to, reject, we're going to see and reject is in verse 21 through 27. I'm reading from ESV here. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary... The parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And on our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And we see here in this passage, we see Paul talking about members with greater honor and those with less honor. And I think it's, we're tempted to think, okay, those with greater honor, those are the holy ones, those with less honor, those are the sinners. But in fact, Paul doesn't make that sort of distinction here. He simply makes a distinction 
based on their function. Some people are eyes and knees, or maybe heart and lungs. Some people are the hands and feet, or maybe the kneecaps, right? And this distinction does not seem to be based in any way on sin. The hands and feet aren't considered less honorable by anything they've done, but rather they've been composed by God for that role. So they simply have less distinction. Maybe they aren't noticed as much for their contributions. So these are simply distinctions based on spiritual giftings that maybe have different levels of, of noticeability as opposed to being a manner of some more honorable in the sense that they're more faithful to God and less faithful to God. Maybe a better way to say it is some are more spectacular and some are more ordinary in their functions. And if you consider within our body, we have that very much so, right? If you think the more spectacular elements of our body, well, as, as guys out here, when you first dated or maybe continued with your wife, you notice the spectacular parts. You maybe talk about their eyes, right? But it's very rare that our first thought is, wow, you have such beautiful toes. I'm glad to know you. Right? That would be a very rare thing. So we think, well, those are the less honorable members, the toes. We often keep those covered up. Right? Well, it doesn't mean that they have less function within the body. It's simply they have a less spectacular role within the body. So what is the disease that we have to reject? The disease we have to reject is we have to reject the disease of superiority and self-reliance. We cannot say that we are not in need of others. Right? Don't consider yourself to be without need, especially of that seemingly weaker member and their gifts. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. We can imagine how important the hands and the feet are to the body, right? Without it, there's impossible to move around, impossible to do what the eye and the head may desire to do. On the contrary, those members of the church that seem to be weaker, that less honorable member, are in fact necessary. They're absolutely essential to the church and to the body. So beware of the temptation to think that those seemingly weaker aren't needed by you for your church's betterment. Now you can imagine, uh, if you think of the more spectacular members within the church, maybe those who are leading music, those who are preaching, but yet every member of the church has roles to serve the church with their giftings, and each are necessary. And we need to honor each member of our church with those one another commands within Scripture. So not only must we not think of ourselves too good without the need of those who may serve the church by handing out bulletins, may serve the church by cleaning up after the Sunday meal when everyone else is left, those who may serve the church by coming and repairing small things that no one even noticed ever happened. I can think of past members who do that with very little fanfare. Instead, we see that we need each one. And we need to care for those who are considered our less honorable brothers and sisters. Why? That the members may have care for each other. So, the opposite of flaunting our maybe self-felt uh, superiority, spiritual superiority. Instead, we need to genuinely care for each member of the church. The opposite for Paul of division within the church due to differences was not mere unity, but was beyond that with care for each other. You know, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he told us that we are to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Well, if we are to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute you, how much more should we love members of our own body and pray for those within them and give the care that is needed to each one? If we're to love them, we must do so and see them not as weaker or less honorable, but see them as simply different with different gifts. Imagine with Vivian's ear. You know, Vivian's major problems have been in her brain. Imagine we could have said, well, two years ago, if we had known, of course, in advance, oh, it's just her ear. It's not her brain. We don't need to worry about that. There's no need to go to the doctor. This is simply an ear infection. In fact, though, leading from one small issue had spread 
to become a problem for the entirety of the body. You know, just uh, a month ago, we noticed her pulling on her hair again. And my dad is a retired ENT. It's kind of handy. So we were down in Florida and ran by his house, and he still has some of his old equipment around. Took a look in her ear and immediately said, yes, she's got double ear infections. So instead of having three months of incredible disruption for our family, we cared for the little member of Vivian's body. And as a result of caring for the small little member, her inner ear, ear infection cleared up, no more pain, no more problems for the rest of her body and family included. So the first thing we must do is we must reject that feeling of superiority. We must see that we need each other. As a body, you need each member within this church. Because, verse 24, God composed the body. He brought each piece together here at Harrison Hills. And he did so, people led by his spirit for his purposes. So embrace your differences and value each member of your body. It's the first disease. The second disease we must reject comes from verses 14 through 17. And this is one I think that is actually much more common within the church than the first. You know, within the U.S., our culture, we generally don't like arrogant people, right? So those who are arrogant, that's generally, we, we say, hey, don't be like that. Don't be proud. Don't be arrogant. And we're used to that. So our kids are brought up being told, hey, don't be proud. Don't be arrogant. And as a result, I think that first disease is not as common as this much more maybe pernicious disease in verses 14 through 17. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not the hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? So the second disease we must reject is the disease of feeling worthless. The disease of feeling worthless. The feeling of worthlessness or uselessness. That's you thinking maybe because I'm not like that person and I don't have the gifts of that person, then I don't have anything meaningful to contribute within the church. The foot saying, wow, look at the hand. So special. Look at all they can do and the honor they receive. I can never be that great. I might as well not even try to be a part of the body and meaningfully contribute. Or the ear saying, wow, I'm just an ear. Look at the eyes. I'm an ear just covered up with hair for the older men. Filled with wax. I've got no honor. I'm certainly the less honorable one. Look at the eye. Beautiful, glorious, so essential. Look at all the care that goes into the eye. I'm nothing like that, so I'm no good to the body. The ailment here is thinking that your gifts are not needed here within the church. That's the ailment of feeling worthless in the sense of you thinking that you don't need to give of your time and energy and giftings to serve the body. Now, there's three real ways to confront this feeling. And the first is pretty easy because it's simply not true. It is not true that your gifts are not needed here for the body. Verse 15 says that that would not make it any less a part of the body. So if you were to say, ha, I'm just a hand, I'm not a part of this body, I'm not needed for the body, the fact is that's just simply not true, right? We see here Paul telling the Corinthian church, no, you're wrong. Every one of you is essential for this body. And moping around doesn't change the fact. The giftings that God has given you and blessed you with, in fact, are to be used for the body to build them up. Arguing that you're useless is simply invalid. As a part of the body of Christ, you've been redeemed by Him. You've been empowered and indwelt by His Spirit. And you've been endowed with unique gifts to serve this body. The first, it's not true. The second is without diversity... The basic nature of the body would not exist. In verse 17, we read, If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? Now you can imagine within your church, with your pastor, Pastor Adam, if instead of having the church you have, 
and only one Pastor Adam. Imagine if you had 80 Pastor Adams and no others within the church. You can immediately think, man, that may be a really good thing, a really bad thing, depending how you see it, right? But it would not be a body. It would be something different. It would not have the diversity that God has intended. The and you would have long, long times, right? Every morning, right? Every, every Sunday morning, that's right. The body is not one member. It is by many. It is many by definition of being a body. So you imagine if you had a dentist, and over time the dentist is pulling teeth, throwing them in a bag, and after a while he's got a whole bag of teeth, and he lifts them up and said, hey, here's my friend Bob. No, in fact, it's simply a bag of teeth. And the same way within the church, if we all had the same gifts... If we all had the more spectacular gifts within the church, we would not function as a body. We would be very out of sync and would not be able to do what God intended for us within the church. So we need each of us. The very existence of this church and this body depends on having a diversity of members. Each having a role to play in service to this church. Each part using its giftings to build up this body. And the third way to confront this feeling of maybe worthlessness is to think of yourself as worthless or not needed to this church is to challenge God's design for the church. Because in the midst of acting on that feeling of being maybe less than others, you're embracing the notion that the church body would be better with less diversity among its members. You would be embracing the notion that maybe it would be better if You were just like everyone else, when in fact that's exactly opposite of God's grand design for his church, for us to be unique and different. Now I can tell you, uh, sometimes it's hard to love others who are different than you. My daughters are a good example of that. They are both best friends and worst enemies. Living in a small apartment, living in a different culture, the other side of the world, They will often spend hours by themselves together as closest friends. But yet, somehow, there seems to be also often conflict within them. We can think of that self within our marriages or within our own families, how sometimes it's easier for us to um, show grace to a stranger who cuts you off or does something to you than it is to our own spouses who have loved us. And have served alongside of us for so long. But we must think beyond that. Seeing that we all are different and diverse. But God has brought us together for one purpose. And the third point is we must embrace God's sovereign creativity on display in his body. We see that in verse 12 and 13. For just as the body is one and has many members. And all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit... We were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. You know, when we talk about the body, the church, we we must realize that that body and your church is made up of baptized followers of Jesus. Every one of which, if they're a member of this church, has professed their faith, professed their repentance of sins publicly, done so through the waters of baptism. Each of you as such are sealed with the spirit grace with his gifts, some may be more adept at using their gifts to serve the others. So if that's the case, those less adept as the church, you need to help nourish their gifts, help them develop their gifts. You did that for me 12 years ago, giving me a chance to teach to youth multiple times every week, giving me a chance to develop gifts in service of the body of Christ. But we're all members. We're all members. And as sharing one spirit, God's spirit, we're unified across our barriers. There's ethnic barriers or barriers of economic difference or national background or whatever it might be. We are one in Christ, drinking of the same spirit, hearing from the same word, and getting to worship the same God. Verse 18, he continues, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So who is it who arranged you? The members of this body, Harrison Hills. Each one of you who brought you here, not to another church, not down the road, not to Corden, but to here, 
be part of this local body? God did. God chose you to be members here. He brought you here. He gave you your individual spiritual gifts for the building up of each other. So God is sovereign, designing his body for his purposes, for the manifestation of his spirit through his creative manner, all for his glory. So why do we reject the disease of superiority and reject that disease of feeling worthless? Well, because God made you and gave you gifts to benefit the body, each and every one of you. So how does this apply to the body at Harrison Hills? How does this apply even in the context of missions? Um, in deference to your pastor, we'll land this plane, right? Every one of us has a part to play here. We won't all be the feet sent to the other side of the world. There will only be some unique families sent out to do so. We won't all be the support team staying here in Lanesville and the surrounding area who are sending people out. We each have our roles using the gift of God in the service of the mission of the church, which is to make disciples of all people everywhere. So for each of us, first of all, we must embrace being on mission. Embrace the fact that you are sent out by Christ, commissioned by him to be disciple makers wherever you live, whether that's here or the other side of the world. Truly, for Julie and I, the most encouraging thing the local church in the United States does for us, the most encouraging thing, is when we hear of you being faithful to make disciples here. Because we're reminded that we're all part of this global team doing the same thing no matter where we are. So when we hear of people here in Lanesville and surrounding areas, um, when we hear of people who really are being courageous to share your faith here, defying the temptation to fear man more than you fear God, defying the temptation of the evil one to be quiet, defying the temptation to trust that we must follow maybe the social mores, which is don't talk about religion and politics, because that's not polite conversation. Defying that and saying, no, God's honor is more important than that. More worshipers of God, more important than that. The future, uh, the eternal future of those around us who we love, more important than that. To love God, love your neighbor with the good news of the gospel. That's the single most encouraging thing you can do for us on the field. To remind us that we're all on the same team, doing the same thing, just in different places. You know, the girls often will say they're ordinary girls. They just live in an extraordinary place. And that's really how we feel. We're ordinary people. We're ordinary Christians, ordinary disciples, living somewhere very different. So each of us embracing that. But for senders, for those of you who are sending, you know, pray. Know the needs of your missionaries. And, and many of you do that very well. Pray for them. Lift them up in prayer. Without your supplication, the gospel doesn't go forth. And give, not just of your finances, but of your time. Give of your time in support of your missionaries here. Give of your time in support of local evangelistic outreach that your church does and other churches partnering together do. And give sacrificially of your resources. And then be open to going. Could it be God's calling you to the nations beyond this part of Indiana? Could it be that God's calling you to the nations of Louisville? While we were in seminary, we were privileged to be able to spend, or I guess I, I was privileged to be able to spend two years engaging the Somali population of Louisville. There's 12,000 almost entirely Muslims, although praise God, there are some small Somali churches now being planted around the United States. But there are those who are here, even among you. But could it be God's asking you to offer your lives in service of your Savior, regardless of the costs, regardless of your age? Regardless if you're a student thinking, where will I go from here? Regardless if you're a retiree thinking, well, I'm done. I don't have anything more to give. You do have more to give. So will you offer your life to serve this great creator? But the fact is this. We need every one of our body involved. As goers, of course as disciples, but as goers or as senders. Why? Well, for God arranged the members of the body. Each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet there is only one body. Let's pray. 
Father God, thank you for this body of Harrison Hills that you have brought together. May it be that they serve each other. May it be that there are none who sit on the sidelines. May it be that there are none who come simply on Sunday morning, but instead each one who serves the body with their giftings, whatever they may be, and a way to build this body up so that it might better serve you, might better be a, a witness and a light for you, both in Lanesville and in southeastern Louisiana, or sorry, southeastern Indiana, and beyond to the ends of the earth. May it be, Father, we pray in your son's name. Amen.